Escape Pod 44 March 9th, 2005 Today's story, Show and Tell, by Greg Van Niekat Hello, welcome to Escape Pod. I'm Steve Ely, and once again I didn't catch the Oscars this year. I had thought about it, just for sheer Jon Stewart fanboyism, but I got caught up in a board game session of Arkham Horror, and I think I came out on the winning end of that. I was very interested to read afterwards that George Lucas had gone on record that night to predict the end of big-budget films. He's claiming that market forces are making it harder and harder now to spend $200 million on a movie and get the money back. And he thinks that within 20 years or so, average movie budgets will be around $15 million, or whatever that is in 2025 dollars. So what do I think? I think it's really interesting that he waited until he was done with his own huge budget series before declaring that huge budget movies were doomed, and that, quote, movie making isn't about business, it's about art. Yeah, I think somebody should talk to Lucas about art. But on the other hand, if he's right, that doesn't really bother me a whole lot. I actually think science fiction movies are in a really good period right now, with some fantastic films in the last few years. But the big-budget ones have almost all been adaptations, and, well, the ones that haven't have tended to suck. Even great adaptations can only go so far before the engine of thought starts to run down. The really clever ideas have all been on a much smaller scale. Just go to a site like thenumbers.com and look at the movies above $100 million and the movies below $40 million. Not for what was good, but for what was original. You get more experiments when there's less at stake. You get Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. You get Dark City and Strange Days. Hell, you get things like Pi and Cube, and the most thoughtful time travel movie I've ever seen, Primer, which was made for $7,000. And, yeah, there's a lot of crap at that level, too. But if a bad movie doesn't spend as much as Waterworld, it gets forgotten instead of mocked for years afterward. These experiments are important. They drive us forward. Flashier effects can make us say, wow... But a smart movie makes us think and talk, and we carry it with us. Sure, most of the really mind-blowing stuff is in prose fiction, not on the screen, for lots of reasons that might make another intro some other day. One of them is that it doesn't cost anything extra to put cool special effects on the page. But the audiences for movies are so much bigger, even for independent movies, and if we want to capture some of that audience and bring it back to novels and stories, then the movies need to evoke the imagination. So I'm all in favor of smaller movies, if it means more intensity per dollar. Today's story is also a special effects extravaganza. Of a sort. We present Show and Tell by Greg Van Eekout. Greg's got a solid lock on the most escape-potted author title, since we bought six flash pieces from him back in the early days. We've also run his story Robots and Falling Hearts, in collaboration with Tim Pratt, which is slated to appear in the Year's Best Fantasy VI anthology later this year. Congratulations to Greg and Tim for that. Greg lives in Tempe, Arizona, where he blogs about writing and things related to writing, which is everything. Show and Tell was first published by Strange Horizons in 2002. He tells me in email that it was his attempt to write an ABC after-school special. The story is read for us today by Anna Ely. She's a chemist living in Georgia, in the same house with me, in fact. And her email to me says that it's time for me to load up the dishwasher. So sharpen your number two pencils class and put away your notes. It's story time. Show and Tell by Greg Van Eekout. Teach 
creature is an old-fashioned bug with the blue carapace and eyes like two domes of gold beads. She is very pretty and smells like fallow. But when she flutters her wings, you better look smart or you'll get her stinger in your belly. So we are quiet. We are three rows of quiet children, blinking slowly and steadily, as is polite. Today we are having show and tell, teacher says, bending her antenna towards us. I am certain you have all brought wonderful shows. She doesn't need to tell me it is show and tell. I have thought of nothing else for many days. Show and tell is my worst subject. I nearly failed it last year and almost did not advance. Father says I need to plan my shows better. He says I don't put enough thought and effort into them, and that is why I get low marks. I say I get low marks because we are poor and have little to show. Brindy goes first. Brindy is thin as a tube and covered with ginger fur that her mother decorates with lilac ribbons. Brindy was my girlfriend last summer until she met an orbit boy she liked more. Father says orbit boys are old-fashioned and perverted and believe strange things. I think they must be at least a little regular, though, because Brindy likes her orbit boy very much. Brindy's show is a gun. A gun is a black object made of plastic and bent at a right angle. Brindy says it's an old-fashioned weapon that her orbit boy gave her. I figure I should go to visit her orbit boy and give him something is what I should do. Teacher asks Brindy how the gun works, and Brindy points it at a kid in the front row named Dex and does something with her finger. The gun works by going boom. Dex's head noodles go whip, 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 and he catches a little nugget of metal. That's a bullet, Brindy says, and if you're slow, it goes into the meat part and kills you. Dex asks if he can keep the bullet, and Brindy says to give it back, and teacher reminds her to say please. Brindy agrees to throw bullets at the rest of us, so she does the thing with her finger, and it's boom, 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 and whip, whip, whip for the next few minutes. When she's done, there's smoke in the air, and it stinks, and we applaud and give her her bullets. Brindy has had a great show, and I don't know how anyone can beat it. Show and tell is important because it prepares us to be impressive. It's Gibb's turn next. This year, Gibb is splashy with broad planes of changing color. Last year, he was a little less elaborated and was my best friend. Gibb's show is an odor which he brought in a membrane that grows from his ribs. He holds up a long silver needle and says he'll let somebody pierce his membrane, and everyone starts fluttering their head noodles. I do so only half-heartedly, as I know Gibb won't call on me. But teacher tells Gibb to let me do it. I am secretly in love with teacher. Everyone's head noodles sag, rudely, I think, and Gib turns cold purple. When I go to the front of the room, he hands me the needle. Just prick my sack, he hisses. Don't go too deep. I would like to jam the needle deep into his side, all the way in, so he has to send something crawling after it if he wants it back. But I do like he says. Just a little poke. He releases a twirling, spinning, buzzing smell. It smells like falling down a spiral slide on a hot day when you've had too much melon juice. I stick out my tongue and pant. It's so gross. I think it's one of the worst shows I've ever seen. But teacher says, Very good, Gib. Where did you find your smell? 
and Gibbs says he made it last night after homework, which is a lie. Because when Gibb and I were friends and I went to his place, his sisters would always be making bad smells, and this is probably just one of their rejects. Teacher says he may sit down, and we applaud. Now it is Mung Mung's turn. Mung Mung is really two children who share their noodles. Though not strictly new, it is unusual, and they will stay that way until their advancement, at which time there will be a party and they will be separated. Mung Mung is mostly quiet and nice and okay. Mung Mung's mother works at the zoo, and Mung Mung has brought spiders in a zoo box. Mung Mung places the box on teacher's desk and opens the lid. Hundreds of little black spiders spill out and scuttle up the curve of the wall. They arrange themselves into letters which spell out, Hello, class. Nobody is impressed. This is what Mung Mung showed last year. The exact same thing. This is not new. Our head noodles wave nervously and teacher's wings begin to flutter. Mung Mung looks stricken and tears pool in Mung Mung's eyes. But then the air fills with an itchy, scratchy whining noise that gradually gets louder. And the whining noise becomes many voices and the voices say, Hello, class! It's coming from the wall. Mung Mung spiders can talk. The teacher moves all her arms and the class applauds. After a while, the voices die down and the spiders march single file back to their box. Relieved and proud, Mung Mung takes her seat. The show and tell goes on like that. Everybody has something good. Peter has grown a mouth in his palm and he eats cookies with it. Tron has a glass belly. Fish swim inside, circling a little fake castle. Bardo has brought a tray of eyes, like eggs in a carton, and he perts them on the ends of his stalks and waggles them around at us. And then, finally, it is my turn. Teacher looks at me with her big gold eyes and says, Where is your show? I do not see your show. The class snickers with their noodles. My show is outside, I say. It's out in the hall. My grandfather is bringing my show. Teacher tells me to go get it. So I go into the corridor and I see my grandfather there. And my heart sinks as he is empty-handed. Where is my show, I say. You said you would bring me a show. You said this year I would have the best show of the entire class. And you wouldn't tell me what it was. But you said trust me. And I did. And now I have no show. I start to cry, but softly, because I don't want the class to hear me cry. Grandfather puts a hand on my shoulder. Tut, tut, he says. There, now. His hand is a flat pink slab with short nubs growing out of it. His body is sheathed in cloth, and his head noodles are short, thin strands that do not move. He is so weird. He is not at all elaborated. Mother and father keep saying they will send him to a home for the unelaborated, but he still lives in a room below our floor. Tut, tut, grandfather says. I said you'll have a show that I'll never forget. I said your show would have some substance, some fiber, and by God it shall. I'm a man of my word. Take me in, boy. Show me to your class. It is futile. I am doomed. I go back into the room with Grandfather. 
We stand in front. Head noodles freeze in place. Teacher's carapace turns green. Grandfather spreads his mouth open and shows his teeth. Brindy gasps. Go on, boy, Grandfather says. Introduce me. Wheezing, I look down at my feet. This is George H. Davidson, I mutter. This is my grandfather. This is my show. On each hand, he has one nub that is shorter and fatter than the rest. He raises these short, fat nubs in the air and says, Hey! And when there is only silence, he looks at my classmates as if each of them has done something odd, as if each one of them is the strangest thing he's ever seen. This is the same way he acts at home around my parents and me and my sister. There's a thing he often says at home that I hope he does not say now. If I'd known I was going to spawn monsters, I would have never stopped Irene, God rest her soul. Irene is my grandmother. She is not dead. She is made of glass and lives in Pensacola. Well, kids, he says, go on. Take a good look now. You focus your beady little eyes and your big pineapple eyes and your squawking stalk eyes on an honest-to-God man. When was the last time you saw something like me, huh? I got lousy hearing, and I got rheumatoid arthritis, and I got a stiff little fig for a bladder, but I am a man, unelaborated and humbly glorious the way God made me. The class is upset. Their head noodles rip around in a frenzy. Dex and Mung Mung are crying. Now I am terrified that I will not pass. This year, I will not pass show and tell. I will not advance. When the new class comes in at the start of next year, I will be an old boy. There was an old boy in second grade. He done satisfactory in show and tell, but he could not dance, and he got held back. Nobody liked him. Nobody would talk to him. He got beat up every day. They made him eat rocks. He was an old boy. Teacher is fluttering her wings. She wiggles her butt, her singer shivering. Wait, I cry. My grandfather lies. He is elaborated. He is. Grandfather wrinkles the meat above his eyes at me. What are you talking about, boy? Don't you go fibbing now. I don't know what they're teaching you in school, but you're a Davidson. Show some pride. But you are elaborated, I insist. Your eyes. Didn't you have them replaced before I was born? Ah, well now, that hardly counts. Huh? You did. They stopped functioning, so you had new ones grown. Yes, he says but they're exactly like the old ones. They aren't elaborated at all. He turns to the teacher. Would you call that elaborated, miss? Teacher looks at me apologetically. Not really, she says. What about your liver then? You drank your liver away. Grandmother said so herself. You had to have it replaced with one from a pig. The class is having none of this. Their head noodles make waves in unison. They are laughing at me. Think, I think. I don't want to eat rocks. And then I have it. I am desperate and it probably won't work, but it's all I've got. 
I point an accusing noodle cluster at Grandfather. You have a tattoo. I've seen it when you bathe. Grandfather spreads his weird hands. So? So it's an elaboration. I turn to the class. Have any of you seen a tattoo? I turn to teacher. What about you? I don't even know what a tattoo is, she says. Show them, I say to Grandfather. Oh, I don't know, he says. Nobody wants to see. I open my eyes as wide as I can. I am pleading with him, begging. Grandfather mutters, using old words. He begins to remove his upper cloth sheathing. His face and ears become pink, which astonishes me. I didn't even know he could change colors. It makes him seem a little more like a regular person. He stands before the class, showing his white flesh. It's mostly unelaborated. It's like looking at the pictures of fetuses they show us in health class. Usually they show us only drawings, and we need permission slips from our parents to see them. But Grandfather's chest is not completely unelaborated. There's a drawing on his chest. It is somewhat detailed. It's the Civil War, he says. The whole shebang. Here's the firing on Fort Sumter, and here's the surrender of Captain Waddell at Liverpool. Suddenly, he looks at Teacher. You do teach them about the Civil War, don't you? Teacher stares at him blankly, and he breathes out long and slow. That enough, boy? he says after several moments. I tell him it is enough, and he begins to put his cloth sheathing back on. Well, that's the best I've got, kid. Sorry I couldn't do more for you. I should have known better. Been around long enough, you'd think I'd have known better. He finishes fastening his sheath. I gotta use the john now. I'll wait for you outside. He puts his weird hand on my shoulder again. Good luck, kid. Tut, tut. And he leaves the room. Later, I find Grandfather in front of the school. He is on his hands and knees, staring at a bird. It crawls on the ground. A few of its legs are broken and missing their suction cups. Cat must have got it, he says, standing. They'll grow back, I say. Yeah, yeah, I know. He seems sad. So, going to be the old boy next year, are you? No, I say. It takes him a moment to realize what I mean, and then his mouth gets wide and he shows his teeth. He sometimes does that when pleased. I'll be damned, he says. You know, I never really liked that tattoo much. I was drunk when I got it. Drunk for four days. <laughs> Your grandmother hated it. The class liked it a lot, I tell him. Teacher did, too. She thought it would be better if you had made it move, but it was enough to get me a passing grade. Barely a passing grade. Just barely. But passing is passing. Grandfather shakes his head. Every time I think I got this world all figured out. I'm happy for you, boy. I'm thinking of getting a tattoo, I say, just like yours. Maybe for my birthday or for nailing day, he laughs. I suppose that would be acceptable. I suppose in a strange way, that might actually make me faintly proud. My tattoo will be a little different, of course. It will have moving parts made of bone and muscle, 
and all the little soldiers will have little puckered mouths, and when I breathe out, they will scream in agony from their hurts. But I do not tell him that now. Right now, I'm just happy to go home with my grandfather, walking in silence, holding his weird hand in a few of mine. And that was our story. I hope you're ready for the quiz. First question is an essay question. What does follow smell like? Hi, this is Jason Eric Lundberg of the Lies and Little Deaths podcast at virtualantho.blogspot.com. And when I'm not reading my published fiction, reviewing books, giving writing advice, or ranting about the state of the world, I'm listening to Stephen Ely and Escape Pod, the completely free magazine of podcasted science fiction. Donate today to ensure the continued release of quality short fiction direct to your headphones. Thanks, Jason. I said I was going to stop asking people to donate every week. Of course, what other people ask you to do is totally beyond my control. Today's featured listener is Andy G. from San Francisco. He describes himself as a software engineer who drinks copious amounts of Mountain Dew and has a love of genre fiction and all things creative commons. He listens to Escape Pod on the bus to and from work. And that's how I've learned that there really are people in California who take the bus. Thanks, Andy, for your generous support. Speaking of Creative Commons, as you know, Bob, each episode of Escape Pod is released on a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no-derivatives license. This puts us in such august company as the Speech Accent Archive at George Mason University. It's a research project that has hundreds of people around the world reading the same paragraph in English, with an analysis of their particular speech patterns, for teachers or actors or whomever, all on a Creative Commons license. So, for example, a native speaker of Swahili from the Congo might say, Please call Stella. Ask her to bring these things with her from the store. Six spoons of fresh snow peas, five thick slabs of blue cheese, and maybe a snack for her brother Bob. We also need a small plastic snack and a big toy frog for the kids. Did you hear the final obstruent devoicing in that? How about the interdental fricative? Pretty cool, huh? For more, go to accent.gmu.edu. Our music is by permission of Daikaiju, speaking the universal language of giant rampaging monsters. Hear them at daikaiju.org. That was our show for this week. We leave you with the words of Marilyn Monroe, who said, Hollywood's a place where they'll pay you $1,000 for a kiss and 50 cents for your soul. I know, because I turned down the first offer often enough and held out for the 50 cents. Until next week, have fun. This is Anna Ely for Escape Pod. Check us out at escapepod.org. I got you rocks!